Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers. It's what o'clock? Bugle o'clock. That's not an officially recognised time zone, but then what is time? Well, it's a pain in the arse, that's what. My least favourite dimension. Anyway, uh, it is what it is, although what is it and when? Uh, I digress. <laughs> this is this is the Bugle. It's issue 4130 on the 15th of November the 15th, 2019. Now, I did the dates, both British and American ways there, in one, because one of our guests only understands it the American way. All the way from the studio in New York, <laughs> it's Hari Kondabolu. Oh, I wasn't sure if you were talking about me or Alice. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do the dates the proper time because of colonialism. Ah, oh, yeah. yes, yes. Well, colonialism, the, the, they, they had the courage to stick with, not like you late 18th century splitters. Um, <laughs> well, look... We wanted to do the pillaging ourselves. <laughs> and by ourselves, I mean the white people that were here. I think uh, my people were doing something with rice, probably. <laughs> I guess we should take that as a compliment. Uh, flattery is the... Uh, what's, the what's the what's the saying about flattery? Is the most That's the right. form of flattery, It's been a long week. Um, uh, also joining us from the future... Uh, later this evening uh, in the Southern Hemisphere but don't worry we're playing the recording of her bits of the show backwards so the words flow into your ear holes the right way around <laughs> it's Alice Fraser hello Andy hello Hari I feel like I was interacting too early in this engagement so people <laughs> wouldn't have known who who was speaking <laughs> uh, and my you're... voice was just a mystery voice <laughs> uh, you're in Sydney I am in Sydney uh, how's, uh, how's the rest of the day gone uh, it has been long. I have already done a satirical news comedy show uh, today. <laughs> There's so much news in my head and uh, so few jokes, Andy. <laughs> uh, we are recording on the 15th of November. By the time you listen to or audio read this with your ears, it will be at the very least the 16th of November, which is International Tolerance Day. So if you have any particularly urgent bits of bigotry you need to get off your chest, please save them until Sunday the 17th. Then you have another 364 <laughs> days to get back to basics. Uh, the 17th of November is, uh, of course, the anniversary of one of the greatest tragedies of the 20th century, in terms of sports broadcasting at least. The Heidi game in 1968, when an American football game between the Oakland Raiders and the New York Jets was interrupted on television uh, with the game delicately poised uh, by NBC, who switched to coverage of the film Heidi about a girl in the Alps. <laughs> a day Someone that we can live, all barrack for. A day that will live in infamy. East Coast viewers missed a dramatic end to the game and humanity really has been on a slippery slope of division and recrimination ever since. In um, <laughs> in 1865, on uh, this day in Greece, there was no change in Prime Minister, which was a bit of a rarity in those days. Between the 20th of October and the 28th of November 1865, Greece had five changes in Prime Minister involving four different uh, men, uh, including a three-day stint as Prime Minister for Dimitrios Vulgaris, which was the fourth of his eight stints as Prime Minister of Greece. That is a good level of leadership churn <laughs> that I think we could all learn from today. Even you in Australia, Alice. As an Australian, I deeply approve. We're thinking of trialling a new sort of VPN system where it just randomly changes location, the <laughs> prime ministership amongst the population, and you might be prime minister for five minutes, but you'd never know it and therefore can do no harm. <laughs> 
that's that's the surely the best. I mean, you might have stumbled upon something perfect for humanity. <laughs> As always, a section of the bugle is going straight in the bin uh, this week. Pimp my family tree. Uh, most of us have uh, pretty disappointing <laughs> antecedents when we uh, dig into it. So the Bugle is giving you some free fictitious relatives to make your drab backgrounds more impressive, including great-aunt Stradivaria Gradyard, the world-famous botanist who created the Gradyard dandelion, the world's fastest-growing dandelion that could grow up to 20 metres an hour, albeit only for a week, at which point it collapsed. Uh, believed to be uh, the... Uh, the um, Flower provocateur for the famous story Jack and the Beanstalk. Uh, also on your family tree, you can now add great, 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 great grandfather Field Marshal Plinicus Dravel, the victorious commander uh, at the Battle of Jolog Hill when the British forces, led by Dravel, drove back the ferocious forces of Emperor Bartholomap of Mulguria to take control of Pletherick <laughs> Castle. That uh, may have been embellished through history. I think he just went to the pub. And uh, St. Jemima <laughs> of Pelicarnassus, your 18th cousin, 24 times removed, who was beatified after turning a lettuce into a hamburger at a birthday party for her friend Kelvin. Pimp your family tree free with this week's bugle and in the bin. Top story this week, America. Uh, well, uh, Hari, um, uh, welcome back to, to the bugle. You are our are, are correspondent for all things American. Uh, quite a lot seems to be going on in America, as is so often the case. Can you uh, firstly uh, bring us up to date with the status of your glorious president? First of all, you should know the American empire is dying a slow and painful death. (laughs) What happens to the best of empires? History is repeating itself, but fortunately, Americans don't read history, so they have no (laughs) idea what's going on. (laughs) So uh, the impeachment inquiry is underway, and I think people are a little confused because this isn't the actual impeachment, and also impeachment doesn't mean the president gets removed. So this is the inquiry that informs a potential articles of impeachment that the House of Representatives, the lower house, votes on, and then the Senate will vote whether to remove Trump from office. So if he does get removed from office, it'll either be uh, after he's out of office or in the (laughs) middle of his second term or possibly uh, after the world ends. So it's one of those three possibilities we will be without Trump. Right. Well, Harry, this is starting to sound like a delicately balanced system of checks and balances and procedures for very slowly and carefully judging someone's fitness for office. And I just feel like that's a deeply inappropriate way to approach Trump's presidency. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he lives by the sword, he dies by the sword. This is a man who should be judged in some sort of kangaroo court, (laughs) ideally with rotten tomatoes being thrown in one bucket or another to judge whether he ought to remain in office or not. That's the only kind of judgment he'll understand. Since you opened the door to the phrase kangaroo court, is that a thing in Australia? (laughs) (laughs) I, I I plead the fifth, which we don't have in Australia. So. <laughs> yeah, so, so the impeachment inquiry started and Bill Taylor, the top U.S. diplomat in Ukraine, uh, revealed that Trump had spoken with Gordon uh, Sondland, the U.S. ambassador to the European Union, about the investigation. So that's the second phone call. Uh, and uh, the investigations, of course, are against the Bidens, claiming that they had something to do with election interference uh, uh, with Ukraine. It's part of a conspiracy theory that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 elections, not Russia. 
in this parallel world, Hillary is president. <laughs> <laughs> so Taylor then testified uh, that his aide later asked Sondland what Trump thought of Ukraine. Uh, and then uh, this is what Taylor said. Ambassador Sondland responded that President Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden, which Giuliani was pressing for. And yes, the the Giuliani involved is Rudy Giuliani, uh, the former mayor of New York City, who uh, is Trump's lawyer, because of course he is. And uh, he's best known, especially in New York, for cleaning up Times Square, which means he arrested sex workers and moved homeless per, uh, people upstate in paddy wagons, which apparently still exist, paddy wagons. And uh, also, he was the mayor when 9-11 happened, and he, he did a good job. And by doing a good job, I mean he did not say, well, we did deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess yeah, that, that's that's something, isn't it? Um, it's I mean, it is impossible for uh, for most of us to follow. I think uh, the the whole impeachment process. I, I feel that uh, I, I missed a couple of days' news at some point, and it's like trying to join a box set about three episodes in. I, I just can't quite keep track of of who's who. Donald Trump's response so far has been essentially to say, "Talk to the hand." The tiny, tiny hand, and it's um, <laughs> it, it does seem that the whole U.S. political system, Harry, is designed to prevent anything happening ever. That is correct. Well, first of all, let me just address the hand thing. I do realize having a small hand uh, seems like a negative thing, but to Trump's fairness, it does make his dick look bigger. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just have to take your word for that. Um, I thought you were going to say it makes fisting the nation less frictionful. Um, I'm inspired show, by this whole. Uh, I'm inspired by this whole impeachment proceeding sort of investigation process, and I would like to announce an impeachment investigation of you, Andy. What? I'd like to suggest that you were involved in quid pro quo with foreign governments, where you've offered them military and humanitarian assistance if they've promised to investigate your political enemies, which I assume it being you is all politicians and people who don't like cricket. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I thought quid pro quo was a bargain, to be honest. Um, I'd have gone in for a whole fiver. It's. Uh, <laughs> It does seem a rather co long and convoluted process. And, um, uh, of course, wading through the Trumpic slurry that has been power-hosed all over Washington in the president's noble effort to clean the swamp is is no is no easy task. His inventory of the infractious, his catalogue of contraventions, his heebie-jeebie-CV, if you will, his curriculum <laughs> tutor, long marked him out as a potential... Impeachee, but it, but it's tough to narrow down to a single impeachworthy act of naughtiness from the Vesuviuses of venality and the Krakatoas of crookery that have been erupting since uh, since he took control of the, the keys of Air Force One. I mean, heebie-jeebie-CV is gold, Andy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I was too enamoured. I was too enamoured with the alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, obviously, I mean, the, the, the problem is you can't just be impeached for being a c um, which seems to be one of the complications in the, in the process. But And even, you know, for being unethical, because Trump's ethical bankruptcies actually far outdo even his financial ones, which is really pretty mm -hmm. impressive. I mean, he's been declared ethically bankrupt, I think, now 350 times. But, of course, <laughs> you know, he just rumbles on and it's other people who suffer in the, in the wake of it. Well, they're going to frame you know, uh, kind of frame this as a example of bribery, right? Because he was essentially bribing a government by denying aid 
for it to investigate a political enemy. So that technically is a high crime uh, against uh, the U.S. government. Uh, so I guess on a technicality, they're going to get him. Right. After all this, <laughs> like after all this, it was a phone call. <laughs> Uh, of course, the Bugle will be the world's uh, exclusive uh, source of uh, all information about uh, the impeachment as it rumbles on for the next 50 to 100 years. Uh, Trump, of course, not everything he says is uh, patently untrue. In a rare shaft of honesty this week, he insisted that America's military presence in Syria is, quote, only for the oil. Um, now, <laughs> I mean, we should cling to this, shouldn't we? As you know, just no. a little hint that you know, he can be honest with us. Well, see, I feel conflicted, Andy, because it's the most honest statement ever on American foreign policy in the Middle East. But it's not because he's an honest politician. It's because he's a crude politician. (laughs) And and yes, there's a double meaning on the word crude. (laughs) F*** you, Andy. Look at what you've done. (laughs) I can drag you down to my level. Oh, there are puns in the act now, Andy. There used to not be puns in the act. This is your fault. <laughs> so by saying that America is in Syria uh, only for the oil, uh, whereas his own officials insisted that the forces were there to fight against ISIS, what Trump is essentially saying is that ISIS are fine if they pledge to secure the oil for uh, the rest of the world's behalf. If, if they secure the oil then Trump is essentially saying they can treat themselves to as many sex slaves and public executions as they want. As long as they keep American cars on the road, who cares about the odd bit of, uh, of genocide? Uh, out of sight, out of mind. I mean, who cares about the destruction of irreplaceable architectural treasures if the oil is fine? In fact, what the heck? Just have a special private opening at the Met in New York, bring your own axes and sledgehammers, uh, maybe a can of your precious homemade petrol too, and knock yourselves out. Also, by claiming that the military is only there to steal Syrian oil. That's actually a violation of international law. Just wanted to point that out in case anyone is keeping score at home regarding what laws the U.S. breaks internationally and is not enforceable because we got the nukes. I just feel like this is another example of the Republicans engaging in their current tactic of benumbing the national and indeed international psyche with increasingly incomprehensibly unforgivable sound bites. It's the uh, news equivalent of putting prisoners into a room and playing loud heavy metal music at them until their spirit breaks and they become politically catatonic. Yeah, remember that? Remember that under Bush when that was a scandal? Now, now that sounds like a f***ing holiday. I would pay for that. <laughs> well, so to be, to be fair to Trump, I mean, how would he know it was a violation of, of international law? I mean, that's, that's an achievable goal. He's not even mastered not violating the law in his own country. We can't expect him to get on top of international law as well. Let's take it in baby steps. <laughs> Again, like Trump's own officials say the military is there to fight ISIS, uh, which, again, goes against what he's been saying. But to be fair, he responded, who are you going to believe, me or them? Most of these guys just got here and aren't going to be here too soon anyway. And then he played a solo on the fiddle. Because <laughs> of, uh, of Nero. <laughs> it's, a Nier- it's a Nero reference. We love, we love Nero references here. And then Secretary of State Esper uh, said that Trump uh, meant that he wanted to guard the oil uh, to prevent ISIS from getting, you know, getting the oil and then making money to buy arms. So Esper said that, and I'm sure as his colleagues were congratulating him on the killer lie, 
uh, Trump repeatedly said, we're keeping the oil. We have the oil. The oil is secure. We left troops behind only for the oil. (laughs) That is an actual quote. We're keeping the oil. We have the oil. The oil is secure. We left troops behind only for the oil. It is really scandalous. Foreign uh, powers uh, of nefarious intent should definitely not be using oil to buy weaponry. The way to get re- weaponry is to make a deal with Trump to investigate his political enemies. <laughs> had a rather entertaining meeting with um, between Trump and uh, Recep Erdogan uh, this week, in which Trump said he's a great fan of uh, of Erdogan, which is a slightly odd way of. Uh, of of describing someone who's uh, perpetrated some hideous acts of repression and uh, similarly international illegality, but a great fan. I mean, it also seems pretty inconsistent with the fact that he very recently threatened Erdogan via the form of a letter and then presumably hit on him on MSN Messenger <laughs> and... Uh... <laughs> MSN Messenger. <laughs> just different forums for different messages. That's Trump's <laughs> tactic with Erdogan, just confuse him into compliance. I mean, he says he's a big fan of Erdogan the same way I'm a big fan of Ariana Grande. <laughs> like, she's been around a little while now, but I just heard of her and I <laughs> and barely know most of her songs or who she's murdered. Well, he knows he needs to pardon a turkey, right? Oh, well, oh, boom. What have you done to her? <laughs> what have you done, Andy? I'm, I'm, leaving, I'm leaving one hell of a legacy for humanity through this show. Hosting Erdogan in the White House, I think part of it was just to make sure the Kurds know that the breakup with them is official. (laughs) He's he's just really rubbing in their faces. Well, that's what you get for allowing us to violate your trust. Wild boar news now. Uh, Alice, you are uh, the Bugle's resident um, wild animals correspondent. uh, and also uh, the Bugle's uh, drug trade correspondent. Um, your two roles have overlapped somewhat this week. <laughs> yes, Andy. Uh, it's been a great year for pig-related chaos as a stash of cocaine in in, in an Italian forest was rummaged by a bunch of wild boars. $22,000 worth of cocaine was hidden in the woods and completely destroyed by a gang of wild boars, which presumably wanted to have a buck's night or something. (laughs) Uh, Police were dismantling the smuggling operation uh, in Tuscany after they'd placed a wiretap on members of the gang and then their scoop was scooped by a bunch of pigs, which I think is probably, you know, if you want to be rude about the police, somehow ironic. (laughs) Yeah, it was uh, a rather fascinating, fascinating story. This that they, they, that they, they, the police discovered about the wild boars through this wiretap, with the, the dealers complaining about the, these animals digging up their stash of the socially ruinous salt and sugar substitute. Uh, the report said that it is not known what happened to the animals, although there were other reports that a group of wild boars started aggressively speculating on the international derivatives markets with a raft of high-risk short-term <laughs> deals, whilst making, whilst making frantic comments about people conspiring to, to turn them into ham. Now, I guess we shouldn't blame the boars too much, though, uh, although no wild boars have expressed even the slightest guilt about or even awareness of the trail of human devastation in the cocaine supply chain. So, uh, frankly, they deserve to be eaten in a delicious, intensely flavoured pasta dish. 
<laughs> some of the boars lost a lot of weight. <laughs> and some were calling friends to borrow $50. <laughs> Three of them are pitching a special to HBO as we speak. <laughs> we do a lot of cocaine in our industry. <laughs> It's such a shame. I've never done any drugs. No, yeah, me maybe, neither. Maybe that's where my career's been going wrong. I drink tea. <laughs> a friend of mine once talked me into taking mushrooms and then banned me from taking mushrooms on the on the premise that my brain was too weird already. <laughs> <laughs> Weather and or divine punishment for the way we're living as humans news now. And, well, there have been floods and fire uh, across across the world. Uh, Venice has become a, a large puddle as well as Europe's largest urban car-free area. There have been floods in the north of England, to which Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, sprang into action like a rotten pumpkin. And fires have been raging uh, well across Australia and also uh, recently in, in California. I mean, we're basically just living through the start of the end times. Uh, Alice, you're in, in Sydney. What's the, the latest on the uh, Australian fire situation? Well, it's a terrible disaster over here, Andy. We have we have fires all over the place. We have uh, numbers of people dying. It's it's such a shame when you read about flooding while the sky is full of smoke. Uh, it just feels like a problem of a distribution of resources when you're reading about flooding in Venice, traditionally one of the more flooded already cities. That whole place is underwater. It has to be a lot more underwater to count as more underwater. <laughs> While things on here are, things over here are, are desperately on fire. Um, it's a really beautiful and terrible thing to see the best of people coming out in response to these kinds of national disasters. The volunteer firefighting service is uh, behaving incredibly well. And even if you feel like we're on a downhill slope towards the apocalypse, environmentally speaking, it does give you hope that maybe the post-apocalyptic Thunderdome will be a sort of a, a neighbourly kind of place, <laughs> uh, at least until you hear politicians try to leverage it to make their political points or go on Twitter to see people call each other Nazis for believing in climate change or not believing in climate change or not having an opinion about climate change. Classic fascist agenda being pro or anti whatever it is that you're against. Um Specifically, politicians have come out to say stupid things, as they often do, but uh, Barnaby Joyce, among all politicians, has uh, covered himself in glory. Uh, if you don't know Barnaby Joyce, renowned hat wearer, celebrated human frenulum, the condensed milk of discarded foreskins, man of the people, if by people you mean idiots and by man you mean idiot. He's a newsworthy <laughs> sausage factory. <laughs> He's a newsworthy sausage factory of political ineptitude and he has come out in full force in response to two tragic bushfire deaths. Now, Andy, you might ask, did he express sympathy for the victims and speak in delicate kindness to unite the nation in the face of this ongoing catastrophe? Did he f <laughs> What he said was the people who died were most likely Greens voters who who had been against backburning uh, and therefore deserved presumably to be burned in a terrible and tragic way. Um, fortunately, most of Australia has come out um, to call him an absolute <laughs> knuckle, but nonetheless, there are people who support this particular perspective and it genuinely makes me want to punch people. Uh, it's truly extraordinary. Your Deputy Prime Minister, uh, Michael McCormack, um, accused the Greens of being inner-city raving lunatics for bringing up climate change whilst uh, discussing the, uh, uh, the the current round of, of, of fires. Inner-city in raving lunatics... I mean, the raving lunatics generally side with 
tens of thousands of peer-reviewed scientists or not. I mean, generally the <laughs> lunatic tends to go on a slightly more maverick tip. Well, I mean, this backburning situation is is a really interesting one. It's been too dangerous to do backburning um, in recent years, partly because of heightened temperatures, um, which risk any backburning kind of going out of control, which means there's quite a build-up, which is why these fires are so bright, broadly spread uh, and round about the place. So uh, there is one of those, it's one of those sort of um, tiny scraps of almost truth that have been blown up into a stick to beat the Greens party with and also the grieving families of these tragically dead people it's really politics at its finest uh donald trump managed to turn the california fires into a petty political spat uh I, i'm i'm not sure there's is there any political issue that trump could not reduce to some kind of bitter personal argument no okay good Go, <laughs> thank you for clarifying that for us sorry <laughs> Um, here in uh, in England, uh, there's been uh, floods across large parts of the the north of the uh, of the country. It took Boris Johnson five days to visit the affected area, uh, albeit in that time he did have time to record a bullshit campaign video in his London office. So I mean, clearly, you know, those these things do take at least four and a half days to record. Um, uh, a woman, <laughs> uh, one, one of the women cleaning up the area uh, the area uh, around her house. I uh, said to Boris Johnson, you've not helped us. I don't know what you're here for today. It's quite clear what he was there for, to look like he gives s- slightly a bit of a bit of a shit. But Boris Johnson was accused of outrageous lack of concern. But to be fair, the floods are in the north of England. He grew up mostly in London and abroad, was schooled at Eton and Oxford. So he was probably waiting for those five days for confirmation that the north of England was actually real. Uh, up until that point, it had only existed as some kind of uh, mythic dark land to be feared and ideally destroyed <laughs> uh, he did start uh, chipping in with the uh, the cleanup uh, however he was filmed mopping up in a branch of the optician spec savers now look uh, people criticize him for having the kind of mop technique of someone who had never ever used a mop now I- i'm not really in a position <laughs> to go on my high horse and criticize someone for being a little unfamiliar with the best techniques required to get the most out of a household mop i mean it, it is not my personal sphere of expertise either but what was what really laid johnson's cards on the table here was that he he was helping clean up a branch of spec savers now this is a company with a global revenue of 2.7 billion pounds whose owners are themselves now billionaires they were the people he was helping out it was them it's almost i'm I'm sure it wasn't deliberate but he just has this subconscious urge to help out billionaires it just it just comes out in the most unexpected places we're still uh, four weeks away from the uh, election on the 12th of december but boris johnson does seem to be in some kind of challenge to see how incompetent incoherent and implausible he can be and still win that general election and according to the polls he's got a lot more wiggle room so expect him to up his game seem urinating through the window of an old people's home within the next couple of weeks while screaming it's not so bad (laughs) jeremy corbyn killed 30 million people in the purges (laughs) and i still prefer him to trump still (laughs) bugle astronomy section now and well the stars appear to be uh staying largely where they are as far as we can make out from here Uh, but some exciting news this week in the world of astronomy that one star is fleeing fleeing the milky way (laughs) at a thousand miles a second after uh, an encounter with a supermassive black hole at the centre of the Milky Way galaxy. And this star is hot-footing it 
out of everyone's uh, favourite galaxy. Run for cover, you little bastard. When the going gets hot, the cowardly stars get out of the galaxy. I mean, what, you have to, what is it fleeing? Is it, I mean, has this been provoked? By... Well, this makes complete sense to me, Andy. Yep. See, uh, the star is heading out of the Milky Way after an encounter with a black hole. This sounds like the first ever case of intergalactic white flight. what happened star did the black hole look at you wrong and now you're afraid of all black holes maybe you should get to know the black hole have the black hole over for coffee i mean you all live in the universe together where are you gonna go i mean very moving and i'm I'm very glad that you did that bit not me For me, this is a perfect example of how I am at a party. I enter the party at a high velocity. I engage with the biggest black hole in the room, and then I flee immediately, ideally at 1,700 kilometers a second. (laughs) That is way more sociable than I am at parties. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we get on so well, Andy. We both hate fun. I went to uh, some uh, friends of ours uh, where we live in in South London had a little fireworks party last weekend, and um, uh, well, basically to friends of my uh, my my daughter, and uh, she said, <laughs> "Thank you so much for coming, Daddy. I know you hate social situations." <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> <laughs> when your children have reached that level of knowledge about you, you know that your role as a parent is almost over. <laughs> My favourite part of the story about the black hole is uh, the description by Gary DaCosta, who's an astronomer and emeritus professor at the Australian National University. Uh, he said uh, what had happened was that the star which fled was originally part of a binary star system that had come extremely close to uh, the central black hole, which uh, has this massive equivalent, like it's a mass equivalent, like four million suns worth of mass. But so these twin stars approached the black hole and at some point, and just tell me this doesn't sound like every relationship breakup you've ever heard, at some point the closer of the two stars switched into a binary partnership with the black hole that would ultimately end in it being gobbled up and disappearing into oblivion. The dynamics (laughs) of that interaction resulted in the original partner being ejected at extremely high speed. (laughs) The process they known as the Hills mechanism uh, after the astronomer Jack Hills who suffered an extremely painful breakup. You didn't get the black hole's name, did you? Was it Sarah? (laughs) In Elon Musk news news now, Elon Musk is back in the news for doing something that is either extremely benevolent or undeniably villainous, and probably both. Uh, He's... He's launching tens of thousands of small satellites that are called Starlink satellites into low Earth orbit. And many astronomers are extremely worried because having thousands of satellites between the Earth and the stars sort of gets in the way of their job. Uh, not only can the satellites interfere with their radio wavelengths of their equipment, uh, but it's also they're proving to be brighter than Elon Musk said that they would be. Um, James Lowenthal, who's a co- an astronomer at Smith College, said thousands of these extremely bright satellites could make it look as if the whole sky is crawling with stars, which makes him, me question why he's an astronomer. Doesn't he know the whole sky is crawling with stars already? But worse, uh, these bright satellites could end up interfering with dark sky surveys and large telescopes. And uh, Lowenthal said 
to the times, it potentially threatens the science of astronomy itself, which, um, you know, what are we going to do with hundreds? How many astronomers are there with tens of astronomers out of work <laughs> flooding the market with cheap astronomy work? Well, they're going to have to go underground and unlicensed, aren't they? I mean, let's be honest. astronomers. Let's be honest. They could just be guessing anyway. We don't know. <laughs> Astronomers Alice. could say anything about the sky and I'd believe them. I believe that thing about the supermassive black hole. Will this have any impact on astrology? <laughs> <laughs> well, it could, it could really liven it up, couldn't it, if they've got all these extra stars to predict the future from? Well, people oh, would yeah. care then about this story if uh, if it was astrology. <laughs> yeah, oh. Mars will always be in the house of Venus. <laughs> like, like basically, people are hearing this story and, and they're like, astronomy, but what does that have to do with me? <laughs> Something happened in the universe that I also exist in. What does that have to do with me? <laughs> astrology, oh, okay. <laughs> what does that say about how I deal with work stress? Right. <laughs> You know, my cousin is a, is a doctor of space junk, so this is very relevant to her. My cousin Alice, the right. other Alice. A doctor of space junk. Is that her official yes. title? Yes, Dr. Space Junk. She, is a, she <laughs> was a normal, um, she, she was a normal archaeologist, and then she was on a dig in the middle of Australia, and she looked up at the stars and thought, there's junk up there, because <laughs> most of what archaeologists do is dig up junk and she thought there's junk up there and so she sort of invented her own field of science and now you know she's quite important right chiseling away at bits of space yeah it just shows that the alices in our family take deep risks with our careers (laughs) (laughs) dr space junk is my favorite parliament record (laughs) (laughs) my favorite parliament record is hansard (laughs) Australian Hansard. You've got to go back to like the early uh, early 1900s and see them calling each other sheep stealers. Genuinely, if you're interested in reading very boring legal documents, that is gold. British election update now. Uh, under four weeks to go now, and a lot of thought is turning to tactical voting. Uh, we have a system in this country that basically means it's almost certainly not worth voting in line with what you actually think. Um, so what you, what we basically end up thinking in the ballot box is something along the lines of, I hate that bastard, but I hate that bastard even more, so I'm going to vote for the first bastard, even though I disagree with both of those bastards, because none of the other bastards have got a chance of beating the first two bastards. So it's a it's a complicated system. It's, it, it's not going to tell us what the country actually thinks. It's possibly going to tell us what the country will just about allow itself to tolerate. British voting is a lot like the British social interaction system. You never say what you think. You just sort of passive-aggressive harumph in a non-specific direction and hope they get the hint <laughs> that, that's, I mean, it is basically based on hinting as is indeed is all British communication uh, we're at the ludicrous promises stage of the election four weeks out uh, the parties this week uh, I couldn't really be asked to find out whether they're actually promising because they clearly don't mean it uh, <laughs> Labour's basically saying free everything for everyone uh, the Tories are saying well don't let them give you free everything for everyone that's irresponsible we'll give you free everything for everyone instead basically saying better the devil that's been ruining your, ruining your life the last nine years than the devil that might ruin it uh, uh, differently instead. The promises that may have been proposed by parties this week, had I been reading them, include a free lung for everyone over the age of 40, <laughs> a guaranteed place in the top 50 of the world tennis rankings for all British primary school children, and a free personal nuclear deterrent for every household. I'll vote for whoever promises to reconcile those binary stars. <laughs> 
Sport now, and uh, Hari, um, uh, baseball has been rocked by another cheating scandal just a hundred years since the Black Sox scandal of 1919. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> uh, the sport shaking to its core. That's ignoring all the other scandals there have been in between. But uh, w- what exactly have, uh, have Houston been up to? Well, first of all, the Houston Astros are known for being superior in terms of their analytics. Like They're known as a team that uses science when they make their draft picks, when they make trades. Everything is based on uh, on math and numbers. So everyone's oh been talking God, about Oh, God, you how- just made baseball sound even more boring to me, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> what, you're telling me math doesn't make baseball even more fun? <laughs> and so... So that's like what they've been credited for. But recently, there have been allegations that the team has illegally used electronic equipment to steal opponents' pitching signs during their championship season two years ago. So what would happen is the team used a camera in the outfield to steal the signs that the opposing pitcher was flashing, which would indicate what the pitch was going to be. And then they would indicate it to the batter, generally by banging loudly on a trash can. <laughs> High tech. <laughs> They communicate like raccoons. <laughs> it pretty much. I love the fact that all this talk about science and math, and ultimately, oh, he hit the trash can two times. That's a curveball. <laughs> I mean, it's it's also the best use of a trash can in a sport, other than how it's used in professional wrestling, where uh, people use trash cans to bash other people's brains in. <laughs> Which, honestly, if you added that element to baseball. It would be a lot more enjoyable <laughs> if instead of banging on it to indicate the pitch, you simply randomly throughout the game came out and smashed another player's head in with a trash can. Well, well Harry, you know I am pro any part of uh, sport evolution that ends up with all sports becoming the Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting, this, isn't it? That yeah, what what you've got here is a, is a sport coming into contact with, with technology and having to decipher code. So what you've got here is a clash between jocks and nerds. And, I mean, that can never end well, can it? I mean, that well, the jocks won out. Yeah. The nerds mm-hmm. were like, well, let's look at all this math and we can analyze it to find out. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Or I'll hit this trash can twice. <laughs> and then you'll know it's a curveball. If it's a fastball, I'll hit it once. Um, but uh, it wasn't just the trash can, uh, hugely complicated uh, methods of conveying to the batter what pitcher was uh, coming uh, next. Uh, they'd have a, a, a secret hot dog vendor standing by the pitch <laughs> screaming extra mustard, extra mustard when a fastball was coming. Um, <laughs> they would uh, have uh, someone in the stands talk very, very loudly about the, t- about the Titanic when a sinker was on the way. <laughs> and a takeaway delivery rider would ride out to home plate on a little moped with a, a with a portion of the German Schweinschaxe uh, roasted pork knuckle dish when a knuckleball was on the way. So they really <laughs> got into it pretty deep. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's uh, this week's bugle. Um, Slightly tricky edit for Chris. We've been in three different places with slightly awkward delay on the uh, the Skype call. So I, I'm sure by the time you listen to this, Buglers, it will be sounding as if we're all gathered around a campfire. Stick some campfire effects on there, Chris. Oh, 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 oh.
In, in whose, with, with a delay of which of the three continents that we're recording in. I was wondering why I wasn't getting enough laughs. And it's like, oh, you, you all didn't hear the joke on time. That's what it was. I, was. I thought my jokes weren't hitting, but it was just that you were getting him late and the moment had passed. Sure, Harry. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> also, Alice is technically asleep at uh, I am. 2 a.m. Don't forget to book your tickets for my end-of-year review show, Andy Zaltzman's 2019 The Certifiable History, also featuring Alice Fraser at the Soho Theatre from the 16th of December until the 4th of January, with various days off amongst those. There are some preview shows in London as well, so if you want to come and see a really ramshackle, uh, non-functioning version uh, of it, uh, come come to those. Uh, But preferably (laughs) come to the finished show, (laughs) more importantly. Come to both. (laughs) Alice? Come to both. I guarantee you the trial shows will be absolutely nothing like what the Soho shows will be like. Uh, I have shows. Yes, I have a show in Canberra on the 20th of November at the Civic Pub. I have a show in Sydney, uh, in Sydenham on the 23rd of November, um, and that's at a secret warehouse. So if you go to papafire.com, you can find out where that is. I still don't know. And my show Mythos is now available for free as a podcast um, on the ABC stand-up comedy stream just look it up on your local podcatcher if you want to steal my work from me for no money um <laughs> i just can't i can't seem to stop giving my work away for free andy it's uh, that's why i need patreon people to pay me for nothing so i can keep giving other people my stuff for nothing hurry any shows coming up yes uh, i'm doing a little wisconsin tour uh next week because the best time to go to wisconsin is in November. <laughs> so I'll be, in, I'll be in Eau Claire, Wisconsin on November 20th at the Plus. Apparently, Bon Iver lives in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. So if anyone knows him, tell him to come to the Plus on November 20th. Uh, and by Bon Iver, I mean Bon Iver. Um, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll be in Madison, Wisconsin at the Comedy on State November 21 to 23. And then I'll be in Milwaukee, November 24th, at the back room at the Collectivo. Then I do a little Hawaii tour, December 2nd in Maui, Mulligans on the Blue. December 5th in Honolulu, two shows at the Blue Note. And then I close out the year of touring, December 14th, in Las Vegas, at the Flamingo Hotel, in the oh, Donnie... F- yourself, <laughs> In the Donnie and Marie showroom. Uh, because apparently whoever booked me has never seen a clip of my stand-up. <laughs> so I'm performing at the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas in the Donnie and Marie showroom. So those tickets still available. If you get a chance, also warn your relatives, my Netflix special is still streaming. <laughs> uh, do go to all of those shows, Buglers. We will now play you out with some more lies about our premium voluntary subscribers. Thanks to everyone who has contributed to the continuing independence and existence and advert freeness of The Bugle. To join them, go to thebuglepodcast.com and click donate. Music, please.
Greg Dawson dabbles as an inventor of deliberately unsellable creations in order to retain his love of the art and craft of invention without sullying it with money. His finest products to date include the soluble urinal, the barking breast pump and the tectonic quake pillow. Sonia Wurzel is eternally puzzled by how on earth and why on earth the human race managed to develop, amongst other things, the unicycle, jelly, the harpsichord and above all, Taramasalata. Philip Jones thinks that a glowing fang could be the next surprise celebrity fashion accessory. It would look striking when celebs pose for photos at award ceremonies, claims Philip, and frankly, it's only a couple of logical steps beyond the full sleeve tattoo. Hannah Wallin thinks that films these days are way too obsessed with special effects at the expense of plot and characterization and believes that a solution to this is to allow directors only one special effect per film. She thinks this would make for more interesting films and absolutely phenomenal mega special effects. Spencer Otterson is pleased that the letter X is so prominent in mathematics since it is largely marginalised in spelling, despite the heroic efforts of the Basque language. Spencer is in fact such a fan of the letter X that he sometimes leaves written notes summoning cats, which simply say, Nick Kaiser, which of course would have been good advice to a policeman going on holiday in Germany in around 1910, finds himself oddly moved when he sees single vegetables left in the fridge after all their previous packet mates have been eaten, and was once moved to write a poem entitled Ode to a Solitary Carrot. Keith Waters was so inspired by the idea of a water cannon for dealing with civil disturbance that he now carries a garden hose and a 150-litre tank of water with him wherever he goes, just in case he needs to do any minor crowd control or queue alignment. Michael DePriest finds that it helps in social and work situations if, when going through a door marked entrance, you read it as entrance putting you in the mood to be quite captivating company. Bela Hahn thinks fishing as a sport would be more impressive if the fish were not caught with a rod and hook, which seems a bit mean these days, but were instead coaxed by the participants into a special paddling pool using simply the power of song. Furthermore, adds Bela, I would pay to watch that. Scott Lipsig was once, a long time ago, on a date in which conversation turned to sports stars with the names of fish. Scott ventured baseballer Mike Trout, former rugby international Jamie Salmon and ex-England footballer Steve Guppy. When his date suggested early 20th century cricketer Arthur Dolphin, Scott said, This is obviously not going to work out. Tim Lehman, overhearing the end of that conversation, butted in and claimed to the now-abandoned date that there had been a professional golfer called Dusky Grouper, a world champion 1930s boxer called Right Eye Flounder, a grand national winning horse called Red Lip Blenny, and an NFL legend by the name of Staghorn Sculpin. The date said, are you sure those are all A, fish and B, sports stars? And Tim said, Scott was right, you're incompatible. Here endeth this week's lies. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss Lime Bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, 
and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now.